Are you ready? Yep, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jen. And And you're you're listening listening to Fathomless. Welcome back to Fathomless. Welcome back. Um, we hope you enjoyed our last few episodes that yeah. we put out. Um, we're working on trying different things to make our audio sound better. Yeah. Um, but we just want to thank everybody for being patient and just yeah. listening through the static and the awkward drops in volume. Um, I yeah. mean, everything- we're still figuring it out. Neither of us have ever been like, audio visual or like techie savvy people um which i'm sure some of you are like then why the fuck did you start a podcast but um, (laughs) but you know we're doing our best and honestly i think for people with little to no experience in it 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 could be worse yeah i've heard worse recordings so yeah but then i too bad that i'm like listening to all these other podcasts and i'm like how come their audio sounds so good and ours is so staticky but um we're getting new equipment we are trying different things and you know what these cases still um are worthy of being listened to um regardless of any shitty audio we may have but um i just love sitting down with you amanda and recording it's i know i love it it's like a bonding moment for us we're holding hands we are um so (laughs) Amanda, how are you feeling today? Amanda okay. was Amanda was on her deathbed for like yeah, three weeks. Yeah, so I actually thought that, you know, this was going to be it and I was going to die like the minute after I turned 30. Um, I somehow got motherfucking swine flu and I have <laughs> been so sick the past three weeks. Um, I was in the fucking hospital twice. I've never been this sick in my adult life. No, and you're not like any like, sort of like hypochondriac either. No. You are very like... I'm going to stay home and yeah, not seek help. But you, like, oh my God, for yeah. you to end up in the hospital twice, I was like, oh, fuck, Amanda's yeah. sick. I, I hate the doctors. <clears throat> I never, I never, you know, fucking go see them. But it got wicked bad. And, like, when it was, like, 48 hours of, like, not even being able to keep water down, I was like, ah. Uh. And then I lost my voice. If I sound really squeaky today, um, that's that's because it's just starting to come back. So when I talk for really long periods of time, it's just but, you know, we're fucking here for you guys. So. We're here for it. You, you do sound great. Like, when you came over yesterday, I was expecting you to yeah. still be, like, very raspy. But I was like, oh, Amanda sounds like herself. Yeah, so, and you look, you have color in your face. Yeah. Oh my, I don't look somewhat. Like dying Victorian era child anymore. It was, I mean, you're always pale I was, anyway. I was gray, though. Like, I was fucking God. gray. Like, I looked like Roger the Alien from American Dad. So like, it was not. It was not fun, guys. Please go get a flu shot. Don't end up like me. It was terrible. It was yeah. fucking terrible. I'm, I'm happy you're feeling better. And, like, I felt so bad because, like, after we, like, bulk recorded the last few episodes. Yeah, we did, like, five episodes. You were. that. I think that was, set you up the actually, edge. I'm pretty sure the next day was my first trip to the ER. And they were like, yeah, you have the flu. Wow. Like, I'm sorry okay. I put you through all that talking that day. Hey, I, I am a grown-ass woman, and I decided to do it. And I remember my boyfriend being like, you're going to go to New Hampshire today? You've been really sick. Are you sure you should do this? And I was like, yeah, the mountain air will make me feel better. 
And we no have one a, fucking did it. And we have a podcast to put out. The people are waiting. The people need me. <laughs> Even though, I mean, All we 50 of our listeners. <laughs> no, we actually Just have kidding. a great handful of listeners, I think. We have we listeners from like 20 different states. I know. Even if it's like a we couple. Have some people overseas. Yeah, we have people listening in four other countries. That's is mind-blowing to me just even if it's like one or two people i'm still like oh my god someone from europe listens yeah with our shitty audio (laughs) we love you um no but i mean even though like weekly we probably have about probably 50 that listen in like immediately immediately um i think we have a good handful of listeners we already have over a thousand plays total yeah and i think that's awesome for amazing nine episodes out there yeah so even though some of those are us and my husband and <laughs> right uh, my massive family yeah hey they count as views and plays so yes. very true yeah so i mean is there anything else you wanted to check in with or how's your wedding planning going oh god um my wedding planning Jen's is getting married if any of you don't know that i mean she's already married yeah our we- big ass party this spring I mean, I feel like when I first got engaged, I was very, like, on top of everything. And in the past six months, I've done, like, nothing. Um, So it's more of just tying loose ends together at this point, I think. And just really getting, like, everything detailed. But it's going. I'm trying not to make it, like, a stressful experience. Because I'm just trying to be, like, I'm just going to party. And I'm not a traditional wedding bride. And I'm not a glitzy, glammy bride either so very simple very like earthy vibes and great maid of honor speech prepared yeah i'm ready to hear (laughs) you can't hear it until the day it's definitely gonna include how you fucking hated me when we first met and how how you wanted to fight me literally how it starts and then how how we got into another fight and we didn't speak for years and then amanda came through the drive-thru of a coffee shop i was working at yep and i think we just kind of looked at each other and we were just like, yeah, we didn't even speak words. We were just like, hi. Yep. And then we hung out the next day and it, we've been inseparable ever since. It's yeah. like, it's like we didn't speak to each other for a few years. It was. And I, we were young at the time. We were like early, early. You're we like 22. So like, I feel like everyone kind of goes through that moment where you kind of like separate. You both grow as people and then, you know. Sometimes the universe puts you back together. I'm so happy you came through the drive-thru that day. And you know what? That was meant to be. I wasn't even working at that store. I was picking up a shift in that store. And my broke ass shouldn't have been buying coffee, but I was like, you know what, girl? Treat yourself. Yeah. We all love a good Mary Lou's coffee. Ugh. Their banana mocha. Get a banana mocha with milk and sugar. Fucking unreal. Mm. It'll change your life. I worked for Mary Lou's for a long time. Um, I even worked in the corporate office for a little bit. I'll keep some things to myself, but I don't necessarily like giving my money to Mary Lou's anymore, but their coffee's good, so I have to once in a while. But, yeah, anyway, I think that's enough. I know, we should probably get into the episode. So, the case Amanda is going to be telling us about today is very frustrating. Yes. Um, It's a really tragic and confusing case. And it is the disappearance of a 12-year-old boy, and his name was Jalik. Did I say that right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Jalik Rainwalker. She's like, such a cool What a last badass name. last name. So badass. It's like um, when Native American 
people have like their tribal names. I know. I love that shit. Yeah. Mine would probably be like Cat Lady. <laughs> it definitely would. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, are you ready to take it away? Yeah, let's All right. do it. Let's do it. Okay, so I do want to start off just by, you know, as always, I give like a little disclaimer. Um, there's a lot of controversy around this case, and it is still an open investigation. Um, there is a good amount of information, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions and I do believe that that's because investigators are keeping a lot of things like close to the chest because it's open it's so open. they um, can't give away everything there is a prime suspect who is out and about free living their life they do live in New England uh they live in Vermont so I do wanna, oh shit <laughs> we I, are 30 minutes from Vermont I do want to you know just cover our own ass by saying you know despite the fact that there is a large amount of evidence and suspicion kind of stacked against this person uh obviously everyone is proven everyone's innocent until proven guilty in a court of law um we are by no means pointing blame at anyone and saying that they outright did this we're even, just saying the facts yeah. right even if their actions have been extremely questionable during the entire investigation and i'm saying this because i don't want anyone to go out on a witch hunt on our behalf and like you know like attack people um that's not what this is about this is about getting julik's name out there and his story out there so that his loved ones can get closure and to kind of help revitalize the case and get it back out there and get people knowing his name because this november did mark the 15th year anniversary of his disappearance. So and he would have been... Unsolved. He would be 27 years old right now. So not much younger than us. No. No, wow. he was born in uh, 1995. So right around our age. And so, yeah, just wanted to say that. Um, little trigger warnings. We're going to be discussing child abuse today. And we're going to be discussing the U.S. foster care system. If you're uncomfortable with any of these things, we'll see you on the next one. And, I mean, without further ado, let's just get into it. So, Jalit Rainwalker was born on August 2nd in 1995. Unfortunately, he had a very difficult life from the start. It was not easy for him. His birth mother struggled with alcoholism and substance abuse issues during her pregnancy. So, Jalik was born and pretty much already had the odds stacked against him. He suffered from fetal alcohol syndrome was also addicted to crack cocaine. Fuck. He was put in the system pretty much immediately due to his mother's addiction and struggling with everything. Um, and even then in the foster care system, he did not have an easy life. Julie actually went through um, six different foster homes in the first seven years of his life. Oh my God. So this is a child who had, you know, a very, very unstable life literally from the beginning he um unfortunately that affects mental health fucking significantly. oh yeah that's like your everything i feel like stems back yeah. to childhood so this instability was extremely detrimental to his mental health he was eventually diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder uh, also known as rad which made it exceptionally difficult for him to form attachments with others especially caregivers um, it, RAD can also result in explosive outbursts and very like emotional behavior, a lot of behavioral issues just in general because 
they struggle to understand their emotions. And basically like the Mayo Clinic, that's like the Mayo Clinic definition of it. Um, that really kind of hit home for me because I have an anxious attachment disorder. So I, I definitely understand that, that feeling of being unloved and struggling to form strong bonds with people because you kind of always have that fear that everybody's going to leave you at some point. And it's, it's really, really hard. So, like I said, he bounced between six different families before he was seven years old. And then he was sent to live in the home of Stephen Kerr and Jocelyn McDonald around 2002. Where they was lived, this? They lived in Greenwich, New York. Uh, which is a very rural upstate community. Can I just say something? Yeah. I did a case in Greenwich, Connecticut. The vampire thing was in Greenwich, Rhode Island. Yeah. And now we're in Greenwich, New York. He names all these towns the same And why <laughs> we have all these cases from like the town of Greenwich. Anyway, yeah. go on. I just very thought weird. of that real quick. But um so yeah, it's a very rural upstate area. Um and Julie was like I said he was seven years old at the time. Stephen and Jocelyn had three biological children and one other foster child. So they're a family of seven, it's five kids. Keep that in mind because when we talk about their living situation, it it's a it's a it's a lot. Um, at first things were really going well with the family. They ended up actually formally adopting him. So they weren't just, just his foster, okay. Yes. They adopted him. Once Julique was officially adopted, Stephen and Jocelyn began to start complaining about Julique's behavior. Apparently, he was a very emotional child and would have violent outbursts on him. Now, that's not necessarily uncommon for children who have significant trauma. And I probably should have mentioned this first. Um, I don't know why I didn't have it in my notes first, but Stephen and Jocelyn were actually not just regular foster parents. They were known as therapeutic foster parents, which therapeutic foster fostering is a little bit different than regular fostering. These people go through special classes to be trained to deal with children who have special needs, have special emotional issues, and kind of need like a little more care than a normal foster child. Like so they knew what they were getting into? Medication. Essentially, yeah, you, you would think that they did. But, and then they complained about him. But apparently he was a very emotional child and would have extreme violent outbursts pretty frequently. And Jocelyn and Stephen would complain about this to DCF, basically. And you would think that since they were especially trained, they would, they would be prepared to deal with these, but apparently not. Um, I would like to mention that Jalik's grandmother, which was Jocelyn's estranged mother, had very different things to say about Jamie's behavior. She said he was a wonderful, vivacious child who loved making music, going apple picking, playing with tarot cards, and that he did struggle with his emotions, but it was never anything crazy. She even once was quoted saying that um, there was a time that Jalik said to her that he didn't care where he lived when he grew up, he just wanted to live wherever his future wife lived. Oh. And that he would love her and their children so much that it didn't matter where they were because they were just together as a family. Which, like, that is the sweetest thing ever. And, like, 
for a little boy to say. You can tell that he just, he just wanted a family, like a loving family that was just together. Mm -hmm. And that just, it it fucking broke my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, Barbara, his grandmother, did also mention to the police later in the investigation that she had seen Stephen angrily yelling at Jaleep anytime that he had an emotional outburst. And that one time she witnessed him forcefully dunking Jaleep's head into a creek nearby their home as a form of punishment. Okay. And this, again, this is a small child. Yeah. So that's, that's very worrisome. Um, unfortunately, Jaleek's adopted family did not share the same views that he was a loving, vivacious child. And they were adamant that his behavior was getting out of hand. To make matters worse, there was an alleged incident at Jaleek's homeschooling program that he was a part of. So I guess one day in class, a younger child was making fun of Jaleek. And after being teased for a certain amount of time, Jaleek apparently snapped and made a violent, threatening, and sexual remark to this child. He was about 12 years old. I did not look it up. I felt like he was he's a minor. I didn't I didn't want to, oh, I just didn't know the, to say. I just didn't know the report that you saw it mentioned did. what he said. It did, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, if this kid's getting teased, I don't I don't know what the sexual part of the remark was, but it, I mean, I was fucking teased in elementary school, and I turned around and punched the kid right in the face one day. Yeah, I mean, now... You would think that when this happened and the school reported it to their family that they would be like, okay, we need to seek some kind of professional help for him, clearly. Well, if his foster family is a certified therapeutic foster family, like, he should already have some sort of resource. At the time of his disappearance, he was on no medications for his disorder, and he was not seeing the benefits. Well... Then, so, then he was failed by yes. everyone around him. So, unfortunately, instead of getting professional help, Stephen and Jocelyn were so upset by this incident at the homeschooling program that they decided that they did not want Jaleek around their other children, and they reached out to a DCF crisis hotline saying that he was unmanageable, and they asked how they could go through a process to reverse their adoption. So they basically just wanted to unadopt this child, which isn't even really a thing you can't you can just like abandon a it's not child like you just return them to the store like they're an object okay like what about her birth children if they acted this way would she just like hey can you just like there was a very awful there was a very big difference in how julie was treated and how their biological children were of course we're gonna get into that a little bit later um so it was very it's, it's like a really tricky legal thing that they would have to do in order to like reverse the adoption mm-hmm. and put him back into the state's care. So the, um, the crisis hotline person recommended respite care as a option. Instead. So respite care is defined as basically a form of temporary relief for the primary caregiver. So he would be placed in a different foster home or it can be like, you know, just like a couple days or like a month or a couple weeks. And it would give Stephen and Jocelyn time to kind of, like, separate, have everyone kind of calm down, and kind of go from there. So, that was essentially their plan. And they were still attempting to try and, like, regardless of the fact that they said they wanted to do respite care, they were still like, we want to file paperwork 
to reverse this adoption. So that's nice. Yeah, which I mean, it kind of blows my mind that they did that because like they were supposed to be finding him professional help. And mind you, they were also receiving stipends from the government of $3,000 a month for Jalik's care. Huh. Um, so were they still getting this money when they sent him off this? So the respite care? Yeah. He was only in respite care for a little while, but um, it was only a few weeks. We'll kind of get into it. But pretty much up until his disappearance, yes, they were receiving $3,000 a month to help care for him. Um, later in the investigation, when, they, when Stephen and Jocelyn were asked, why they weren't seeking any professional help or any kind of therapy or anything for Julie. They simply claimed that they lived in too remote of an area to find help. That was their, that was their response to that. Okay. So that's, seems a little, uh, just kind of like yeah. an excuse. Yeah. Just, just kind of like a dumb excuse. Well, like if you're already like in this like foster family program and you're like, basically have all the resources and you're set up to adopt a foster kid you should <laughs> i'm sorry just being in a remote area that just like you're making an excuse yeah, yeah. so that's that's a dumb excuse so in late october of 2007 stephen kerr was supposed to make a trip to romania and jocelyn insisted that they needed to put jaleek in respite care because she did not want to have to care for him and all the other children and be alone in the house with just her and the kids. So they set up for him to go to the house of Elaine Person and her husband, Tom, who were some other people in the foster care system. And this was actually pretty good for Julie because he had actually been there before and stayed with them at some point in time. So this was a familiar face to him. So it wasn't like he was just going to a street. And Jalik was supposed to stay with her for about two weeks, but unfortunately, Elaine and Tom had some prior commitments, so they were going to have to s- kind of split up his respite care stay with them. So Jalik was going to be there from about October 25th to November 1st, and then he would return back to their care on November 6th. And basically, um, all sources said that they were Stephen and Jocelyn's plan was to keep him in respite care until they could unadopt him, basically, and reverse the adoption. And then they would, he would go back into the system. Due to the lapse in time in his respite care, Stephen ended up not taking his trip to Romania because Jocelyn refused to be alone with Julie. What the fuck, really? Yeah. And while in respite care, Stephen insisted that Jalik had to finish his classwork from the homeschooling program, even though he would not be returning to the homeschooling program due to the incident. And he also demanded that Jalik write apology letters to everyone that he had hurt, including his classmates and his adoptive family. According to Elaine, Jalik thrived at her home and was a wonderful child. They went to a Halloween fair that was happening in her town and Elaine said that he had a blast. He then said that he wanted to work in the haunted house when he got older. And she apparently had a bunch of books in her house. He was reading constantly. She said that he read a Harry Potter book in one day. Oh my God. Which like, I can't do do that. Yeah, I could not do that. I could not. Um, She said that he was extremely helpful around the house. 
with chores. Even Tom said that he was extremely helpful. And basically, he had a wonderful time there. Not once did Elaine mention any kind of behavioral or emotional issues. However, she did talk to Jalik a lot about his home life with Stephen and Jocelyn. Okay. Jalik explained to Elaine that the entire family lived in a cabin that only had two rooms. It had no electricity and no running water. The only place to sleep was a small loft that you had to climb a ladder up to. The entire family slept up there. All seven of them. All seven of them. How are these people approved to be adoptive parents? I do not fucking know. Um, The only privacy in the cabin was a small corner sectioned off for his sister. And their bathroom was an outhouse that was outside of their home. Okay. Every morning the kids... With no running water? Yep. Every morning the kids would actually have to go to a well nearby and draw water to bring back home. The only heat in the house was a small wood stove that barely kept them warm. Again, this is fucking upstate New York. They're literally right next to Vermont. Like, it gets cold up there. Yeah. It is extremely cold. You have no electricity. You have no water in your house. You're sending these small children outside in the snow to go to a fucking outhouse. I would have behavioral issues if I had to deal with that. That would be, I mean, for even a normal person... That would be a lot to deal with, let alone somebody who has special needs and behavioral issues. Like that's, if they can't, I don't know if they, it was a problem of not being able to afford it or what, but like you can't bring extra children into a home like that. Exactly. Um, also, Jalik said that there was um, scarcely any food in the house, especially proteins. They would actually only eat meat once a week, and the children were only allowed to bathe every other week. How the fuck did these fucking people become foster parents? Not just foster parents, therapeutic foster parents. I think my neighbors can hear you scream. I'm sorry if I just (laughs) blew the speakers in your car, but like this this case is so. I so I actually want to be a foster parent. It's it's a goal in my life, and to hear stories like this just make me so incredibly angry because. Every single adult that was put in this boy's life failed to help him. Mm -hmm. And I mean, technically not everyone. Barbara and Elaine are honestly the only two people who really fucking did the damn thing and did everything that they could to help this boy. Mm -hmm. And they still do to this day. Oh, good. But they're still like involved. They're they're very much involved. Very much involved. And it, it just it just breaks my fucking heart. It really fucking does. So, I mean, unfortunately, that's actually not even the worst of it. Uh, Jalik also mentioned um, that his foster dad, Steven, was constantly screaming at him. It seemed that Jalik was always in trouble in one way or another. He confessed to Elaine that one time he had actually closed the lid to the toilet paper holder in the outhouse wrong. And as punishment, Steven and Jocelyn did not allow him to use the outhouse for two weeks. He was forced to just go outside in the woods. What the fuck? This is a 12-year-old child. A 12-year-old child. That I, was supposed to be adopted by a family that was going to love him and take care of him. And yeah, and that is the fucking punishment that they gave him. You're not allowed to use a bathroom. That's literally, that's, that is taking away basic human rights. Yeah. That's fucking horrible. That's awful. Fucking terrible. Dig a hole in the fucking woods and go. So the more that 
he spoke to Elaine about his home life, the more that she began to see a significant difference in how Jalik was treated compared to his foster siblings. So I had mentioned earlier that Jalik was enrolled in a homeschooling program. Well, one of Jalik's siblings, his one of his brothers, was enrolled in a private school that cost $17,000 a month. 17 grand a month. 17 grand a Are you month. Sure. Yes. Who can afford yep. that? That was the, that was It the wasn't tuition. that wasn't the yearly tuition? Nope. The, this is some expensive private school then. So what the fuck? They can't afford electricity. Doing? They can't afford electricity. They can't afford Then you food, can't offend your but you're sending one kids. of your children to a private school. Well, no. the other one who you're getting money from the government from monthly doesn't have adequate care or food isn't receiving any kind of therapy or assistances for special needs no medication of any kind and like what what are you doing that's fucked up so unfortunately that that is that is how his life so that money was probably going towards that tuition more than likely because they weren't paying no electric bills with that money that's for sure exactly or putting food on the table so, unfortunately, Chalik's stay with Elaine and Tom was very short. And on November 1st, Stephen returned to pick them up. And even though Chalik was supposed to return just five days later, he did tell Elaine that he was so excited to come back and see them again and stay with them. Because it was probably the only, like, time you got to, like, sleep in an actual bed and, like, got food yeah. and attention. And, unfortunately, he does not return to their home. I, so, wish, I wish they were able to adopt him. He would have had such a different ending. This is where story. things get wicked weird and extremely fucking sad. So instead of driving back to their home, Stephen and Jalik were actually going to stay at Stephen's parents' house, which was a completely vacant home, actually. Stephen's parents didn't even live there at the time. Why they did this was really debated amongst a lot of the sources some said that it was because it was closer to the respite care home but when you look on a map it's really it's not. not it's only like a 20 15 20 minute difference and then some sources said that they stayed there because they didn't want Jalik to go back to the home with the other children because they didn't want him near their other children because they were still very adamant Stephen and jocelyn were that he should not be around their kids and that he was a danger to them Basically. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was it, like I said, it was a little debated between them. I'm not really sure if it was one or the other. And unfortunately, we only have Stephen's words to go on, which I wouldn't trust that dude as far as I could fucking throw him. So is this the person that lives in their foster? His foster, Vermont. Yes. Currently. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so Stephen and Jocelyn live in Vermont right now. I only want. I didn't know if you were like going to give that detail away right away that it was them that were the suspects but i like wanted to like talk some crap about this guy real quick but then i was like oh he's one state away from me like don't want him coming for me if i say anything to i mean like i said you know everyone is innocent until proven guilty but yes stephen kurt is the prime suspect for this and now we're gonna get into it and you're gonna see why and i i agree that i think i think something happened also, if you hear some like noise in the background, Amanda talks. I'm like, her. I'm literally, like throwing my hands. <laughs> Amanda so throwing so her hands around and like getting, slapping them down. Getting real fucking amped up over I'm here. I'm like, hey, hey, giving her like a hand signal, but she's like, fucking 
fuck this dude and like slams her hand down so Sorry, guys. that's I that i don't know if mike's even picking up on that it's I probably get a not sometimes yeah um so i mean we already know that this foster foster i can't <laughs> foster father is kind of a dick yeah so yeah. i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't trust his word either but uh, unfortunately, we only have his word to go off of yeah. based on mm-hmm. what what events occur following this. Is this the last time up. that, like, anyone saw him? So the last time that Jalik was actually seen in public was that evening at a Red Robin in Latham, New York. A manager and a waitress confirmed that they were there and that they had dinner. It was just him and Steven? It was just him and Steven. So, like I said, now this is basically we're going off of Steven's words as to what happened. According to Stephen, after dinner, they went back to Stephen's parents' house, and he could not give them an exact time as to when they as to when they went to bed. He just said that pretty much right when they got home, Julie went to bed, and so did he. In the morning, around seven a.m., Stephen woke up and went to wake up Julie, and apparently found nothing in the bed but a bunch of pillows and blankets bunched up to look like somebody was sleeping under the covers. So vacant house, but there was beds for them to sleep in well, it wasn't like vacant vacant i meant vacant and as in nobody was living okay but there was like furniture yeah okay yeah like his parents i thought it, there i thought the they time. just showed up at like an empty house no. with like nothing in it no there was still things okay. in there but anyway like, the grandparents like jaleek's adoptive grandparents were not there okay it was just steven and Jalique. okay now downstairs steven claimed to have found a piece of paper with the word albany written on it which steven claimed he thought might have been something Julie was planning to use to hitchhike, but it was found left at the house. He also said that he could not find Julie's duffel bag or any of his belongings, like his favorite toy. None of it was there in the house, apparently. Even though he said he searched it, we'll find out later that it wasn't the house. Um, there was also a letter that Stephen claimed to have found left out, and it read, Dear everybody, I'm so sorry for everything. I won't be a bother anymore. Goodbye. Now, despite the fact that his fucking son just went missing, Stephen did not report anything to the police or even contact them until 9 o'clock in the morning, two hours after he had apparently woken up and found his foster son just not there. Okay, I mean, I know, like, uh, right away, you're just like, red flag, red flag, but, you know, sometimes... You never want to jump to... I'm just trying to be biased on, like, so, both sides. There he, were sources that said that he was seen returning videos and running errands in town. Oh, so he... Okay, I thought he was, like, looking in all the rooms, looking around the yard, no, driving through the shower, neighborhood. went and returned some movies to a video store, then went home and called the police. Okay. So... Okay. Does it really seem like there's much of a... Then I'm done trying to defend this guy, you know? I wasn't trying to in the beginning. I was just trying no, to be like, everybody's got to play double okay, advocate. May, at some yeah, point. exactly. Because, Maybe like, yeah, you never know. he could have taken an hour to search the house. Exactly. Maybe gone up and down the street, but he did not. Around a little but bit. But he didn't. But from, that says everything. From what I saw in sources, that is not how he handled this or approached this. Mm-hmm. When Stephen did finally contact the police, he did kind of play this all off very nonchalantly, as if Jalik had just kind of run away from home. He even went as far as to say that. Maybe he joined a gang. Oh, okay. A 12-year-old boy or, just joined a gang. Are, are you ready for this one? Or another thing that he said was 
maybe he went to go find an African-American family to live with because that's what Jalik really wanted was people that also looked like him. Okay. Now, Jalik was biracial, but like you're was telling this me- Was this family? They, they were white, but okay. you're telling me this 12-year-old boy who has been living with you for the past seven years, hasn't had access to a television, hasn't had access to a computer, is living in a remote area of upstate New York, was like, I want to go find an African-American family or join a gang. To me, it kind of just sounds fucking racist. I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. It, it sounds like he was just trying to kind of play it off like, oh, whatever. It's no big deal. So, and like, so what kind of fucking 12 year old is going to go join a gang? Like, I know what happens, but like, he was, he was a child. Like he. I mean, yeah. you hear about those trouble kids that are part of shit like that, but. Absolutely. But I mean, like this. Uh, he it, didn't have, I don't think he had the upbringing to like, know, like. Exactly. Like what was he around. Was also, like, he lived, and he wasn't he was exposed a, to any media. No, he was in a homeschooling program. It's not like he was in a public school. He wasn't exposed to any media. Like he lived a very secluded life. Yeah. So. Why would that be the first thing that you're going to say is, oh, my my 12-year-old kid ran away. I think they joined a gang. Yeah. Okay. Like that. I'm sorry. That's just so ridiculous. I'm laughing. Exactly. Like, I just, I don't understand. Don't understand. And I think it was just a fucking cop out. Uh, unfortunately, police, you know, did have to take these things into consideration. And since it was possible that Jalik did run away of his own free will and wasn't necessarily in danger, no Amber Alert was ever put out. Okay. I mean, I know I'm just saying I'm reacting the same way. I'm like, okay, I'm just like, I'm collecting so, my thoughts and I just, okay, red flag number one. Okay, red flag number two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So police did do a search. They did a search around Stephen's parents' house in which they found Julie's duffel bag and all of his belongings in the garage. So he brought which, nothing with him. Which is weird because Stephen told the police that he searched the whole house and couldn't find any of his belongings. But it was in the garage. And so they also searched around the family's home in Greenwich. Didn't find anything there. Shortly after the disappearance, police came out publicly saying that they didn't truly believe that this was a runaway. And they were looking into the possibilities that he was met with foul play. Because this was a 12-year-old child who apparently just walked out of his house in the middle of the night, in the middle of November, like, or not middle, it was November 1st, but in November, which it's, it can get really fucking cold, like, it can get below freezing temps, and just left with the clothes on his back, and that was it. Did he, like, know, like, the area that he was in? Had no. he ever been to this house before? No. So he didn't even know where he was. Exactly. It, it was an unfamiliar area. So they, I mean, if, if they had, like, specific evidence to believe that they didn't think that he was a runaway, police have never really released that. They just said that they were also looking into the fact that it was likely, he was likely met with foul play. If they had anything else, they were really keeping it close to the chest. So, at the very beginning of the investigation, Stephen and Jocelyn were somewhat helpful and cooperative with the police. Both parents were adamant that he likely ran away and just, like, joined the gang or something and that, you know... That was it. They were hoping he'd come home. They did say that he was apparently suicidal and homicidal at the time of his disappearance, which I find that hard to believe. Elaine has never come out and said anything like that, and she was one of the last people to spend a significant amount of time with him. So I feel like if he was suicidal or homicidal, she might have brought that up. 
So they also, Stephen and Jocelyn also offered to do polygraph tests to clear their names, as they put it, um, which is kind of weird because when the police did ask them to do polygraphs, Jocelyn was totally fine with it, passed hers, no problem at all. Stephen actually refused and stormed out of the police station, claiming that they were treating him unfairly and harassing their family and not even trying to help their son. You have to look at the family first. Also, you you were the last last person person seen with him. You were with him. So that just screams guilt because you you would be you should be willing to do anything even a little lie detector test exactly. that they can't even use in court exactly i don't even know why they still do them i know but at the minimum do a fucking lie detector test especially where they kind of at first offered and were like yeah we'd love to clear our names and then suddenly he's like no i don't want to do that like, okay okay what's that red flag number eight now i um, i lost count because there's so many <laughs> So, obviously, police were starting to believe that Stephen knew more than he was letting on. On November 1st, uh, investigators led a search with dogs around the area of Baton Hill Country Club, which was a remote wooded area close to the home. Unfortunately, this yielded nothing. By mid-November, police made a public statement to the community, admitting that Stephen Kerr and Jocelyn McDonald were no longer cooperating with the investigation and that they had lawyered up. I don't blame anyone for lawyering up, but you got to cooperate with the police to help find your son if you're innocent. At the same time, Stephen and Jocelyn made a public Facebook post. Okay, okay. Saying that the police were treating them unfairly and spearheading a witch hunt against them. And that is, and they were basically saying that's why they weren't cooperating with the police, is because they felt that they were being treated unfairly and that they shouldn't be looking into Stephen so hard. He was the last person seen with him. They should be looking into him. Exactly. Oh, my God. In an attempt to get more information regarding Jalik's disappearance, since Stephen and Jocelyn were refusing to speak to the police, they actually acquired a subpoena for any public interviews that Stephen and Jocelyn had made since the disappearance of their adopted son. Now, if anything substantial came from these interviews, police haven't released that information. I'm going to say that a lot in this case, but again, like I said at the beginning, this is an open investigation, so I do believe that police are keeping a lot of things close to the chest because they need to compile that evidence. Mm -hmm. On November 21st, police searched a campsite in Vermont that was close to the family, and it was a place that they frequented often, but again, unfortunately, that didn't really yield anything. By end of November, the FBI was officially involved in the case. And they were requesting another subpoena for the cell phone records of Stephen Kerr to try and figure out if he was being truthful as to where he was. Because Stephen was very adamant that he never left the house that night and that they were asleep the entire time there at the home. I was just looking up Greenwich, New York on maps, and yeah. it's literally like directly two hours west of where we are right now. Yes. I was like, oh, they're right on the Vermont border. Oh, they're yeah, like they're right near us. Oh, close. shit. So, sorry, getting like sidetracked a little. Are The place where they're at in Vermont, is it like close by to their old home in Greenwich? No, it's a little bit further north. Okay, so they're probably a little further away. Yeah. Okay, go on. Sorry. So, 
the family made a another public statement basically expressing their dissatisfaction with the police investigation and saying they shouldn't be focusing on Stephen. And, you know, they were kind of just constantly coming out saying that they thought that they were being treated unfairly. And the police were just being like, we are trying to find your son. Why are you not cooperating? Help us help you. Exactly. Um, Now, despite his adopted family not really seeming to be interested in finding Jalik, there were several people who truly cared about him and were searching for answers. And one of those people was Elaine Person and then um, Barbara Reilly, his um, adoptive grandmother. Mm -hmm. And in December of 2007, with the help of Barbara and several other foster families that had taken Jalik in at a time, the Find Jalik Task Force was made. Stephen and Jocelyn were not involved in this task force at all. They actually were very adamant that this task force was also out to get them and was treating them unfairly and was scrutinizing Stephen when they shouldn't be. They're just trying to find a 12-year-old boy. It's not about you. Apparently it was. It's not about you. It's about a missing 12-year-old boy. And, like, when I when I read that, like, again, Stephen and Jocelyn weren't, like, were, like, mad at the task force, basically, and thought that they were also out to get them. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, these people are just trying to help find this literal child who just vanished. Under your care. Exactly. So, now what the task force created, there was a small breakthrough in the case, because Elaine Person actually came out publicly and said that that so-called goodbye letter that was found at the home was actually one of the apology letters that Jalik had written well in her care. And it was the apology letter that was given to, was supposed to be for the homeschooling program. Yeah. So that's kind of why I know the wording in that thing was a little bit weird, but it does kind of make sense because he said, you know, I won't bother you anymore. I won't be a bother anymore. And a lot of people feel like the reason why it was worded like that is because he wasn't going to be returning to the homeschooling program. And that's why it said like, goodbye, I won't be a bother anymore. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Yeah, now so, that he was running away. Exactly. So apparently this this was an apology letter he wrote to his classmates, not a runaway letter, as Stephen had presented it to the police. I was thinking that Stephen faked the letter. No. That that was a there little... There is a, another letter that comes up that Stephen might have. Okay. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Okay. But, um, yeah. So it just... It's fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I am just, like, still collecting all my thoughts. And I'm just, like, I don't have, like, a full, like, reaction, I feel. Like, I just, everything you tell me, I'm just, like, okay, okay. And, like, I just said before, I'm just, like, you know, adding all the red flags up. Yeah, but it's a lot. I'm, I just feel really sad for this little boy. Like, he was failed in the beginning. He was physically and emotionally neglected by the people that yeah. were supposed to help him he just wanted to feel loved by somebody that's it yeah with some maybe some food once in a while exactly. like these people couldn't even provide that so all around just really fucking sad so in late december of that year the fine jalik task force decided to organize a candlelight vigil for the community to bring awareness to the case and just kind of have everyone get together, you know, in honor of Jalik and just really just have a moment. And 
Stephen and Jocelyn did not attend this vigil. Okay, I'm not surprised. Um, Add that to the red flag list. Evangelique's adoptive grandparents, Jocelyn's parents, attended the vigil. Um, I'd also like to note that the adoptive grandmother did mention, Barbara, she mentioned a couple of times, that she truly believes that Stephen harmed Jolique and that something happened that night. And I fucking agree with her. Mm-hmm. And That's where my mind's going. To make things even fucking worse, you ready for this one? Stephen was actually seen in the community days, lead, like in the days leading up to the candlelight visual, tearing down flyers about the event. Okay. If your child is fucking missing and you're, you know, going on Facebook and doing fucking interviews, publicly saying that you desperately want him to be found and want him to be returned home, why are you doing literally everything you can to to stop that from happening. Because you're, sorry, Burp, you're guilty. Yeah, pretty much. Guilty. Allegedly. Allegedly. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, but I'm rolling my eyes <sighs> as I say that. Yeah. Ugh. So the only thing that Stephen and Jocelyn, like the only thing I could find in all of my sources that they really did to even help the case, if you could call it that, is they did at one point come out and publicly offer a $25,000 reward for anyone who came forward with information that would lead to them finding Julie. However, they also stated that every week that somebody didn't come forward with information, they were going to decrease that number by $5,000. So I've never heard of anybody, of anybody doing, that. doing that. I like, I can see how they might've thought that like, it usually grows. I could see why they thought that like, Maybe it would make somebody come come forward faster because yeah. they want a bigger reward. But like, that's just fucking bizarre to me. Like, yeah. I don't know why it just seems like I've never heard of any other case having them do that. Like, no. we're gonna decrease the reward every week that somebody doesn't come forward. Like that. Well, the only one that knows anything is this is a guy. Person up the reward. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the new year came and it brought just more confusion than answers to the case. In January, police discovered surveillance footage of what looked like Stephen's van, which was pretty, it was a pretty unique van. I mean, not unique, unique, but it was a gold Dodge Chrysler minivan. So, like, that's, you know. I don't see too many. You don't see many of those driving around. Yeah. Now, it was apparently driving around a secluded area near the Hudson River on November 2nd at 1215 in the morning, which is weird because Stephen had originally told the police that at that time he was at home asleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, later on in the investigations, um, police would find um, they did end up obtaining those cell phone records and confirm that this was likely Stephen's vehicle because his cell phone also Pinged. pinged in that yeah. area during those times. So Stephen was fucking lying from the beginning. Yeah. Can they use that in like as like court evidence? I mean, cell phone pings. They, they essentially can. I do believe that they have a lot of other evidence that they have not brought forward. And again, it's because it's an open investigation. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of it is circumstantial evidence. So they're still waiting on that, like, that kind of smoking gun direct evidence that can really just drive it home. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to come out publicly with everything. Yeah. Because that, that can hinder as well. Yeah. So this is probably the strangest part of the case. In early 2008, a letter was sent to a local police station 
supposedly being from the people who had taken Jillian. And this is what the letter said. I'm going to read it directly to you. I, can, I have, like, the, the picture of it okay. in my notes. And, dude, it makes no fucking sense at all. Was it a typed letter or a written it was a letter? Type, it was a typed letter. And it said, Jalik's still alive, needed a foot soldier for this war on drugs, picked him up, Route 40, post 30. He's okay. No fake. He says, ask his mama and papa, who are the Marconi Maraconi family, my cat named Diamond, why does Bronte yell fire? Don't try to look. We are not there. Are they, like, trying to give, like, a location of where he might be? So, so none of, literally, the police could not make any, like, they, could, they couldn't it, make it was, heads or tails of it. The only thing that was kind of, like, the only thing that did kind of make sense in it was Jalik did have a cat named Diamond at one point. So it seemed like whoever was writing this letter was trying to make it sound like things that like only Jalik would know. Yeah. And the widest Bronte Yell Fire is from like a rap song that came out around that time. Don't ask me who the artist is. I have no fucking clue. I didn't look it up. Sorry. Um, but it, the, the whole letter was just ex- more confusing. Well, I'm wondering if it's like coded. I don't think so. You just think it's nonsense? It, it, I think Stephen wrote Okay. Police, is there evidence for that? So police did collect the family's computer and the family's printer, and printers can actually, like, if it was a newer printer, they do have chips in them that can, like, show you things that were recently printed on that. If anything kind of showed that, police have not publicly come forward with that. Okay. But investigators did contact Stephen and Jocelyn and ask them to come to the station and look at the letter to see if they could make any sense of it. And they were very quick to refuse because they were upset with the media search surrounding the investigation at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Which, again, doesn't really seem like their main concern is finding Julie. No. If you're not even willing to go down to the police station to look at a letter that came in that was supposedly written by him written by or, him or someone who took him. Yeah. So police had a hunch that Stephen may have wrote this letter as a way to throw off the investigation, so they obtained a warrant for the family computer and the printer from the family. I thought this guy didn't have electricity. That's, yeah. yeah, that's what I So after... Too. So I guess it's, like, they probably had, like, limited electricity. They may have, a, like, may have, had, like, a generator or something. Now, did they stop they receiving money computer. after Julie oh, went yeah, missing? Oh, yeah, if Julie was missing, then the government wouldn't have been sending them stipends for anything. Okay. Um, so... Again, like I said earlier, if anything substantial had come from this computer search, police are keeping that close to the chest. I'm not entirely sure. There was nothing in any any of the sources or any of the newspaper articles that I that I found that said that they found anything or didn't find anything. Which me, leads me to believe that they probably found something and they're just keeping it to themselves. Which, fine, compile as much evidence as you can, but I wish it, it led to something. Now, it was around this time that they actually also uh, got all of the phone records for Stephen. I know I kind of already mentioned it before, but that is when they had determined that Stephen had been absolutely not truthful about where they had been, about the whereabouts of his, of, about his whereabouts on the evening of November 1st and early into the hours of November 2nd, and he was publicly named a person of interest. He actually had also lied about the route they had taken from the respite care home to the to his parents house so he had been he had said he was on like one route when 
he actually, his cell phone was pinging in like a completely different area. And I feel like the only reason why you would lie about the route that you had taken is if you don't want anyone to find something on that route. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know. We're getting just, somewhere. Yes, kind of. Kind of. It was also around uh, late January, early February that Stephen and Jocelyn decided to up and move their entire family to Vermont, leaving their home in Greenwich completely vacant. Which also just shows that, again, they were not concerned with Jalik because why would you not want to stay if you're, like, because they were, at this point, they were still coming out publicly saying, like, we believe that, like, Jalik will find his way home and that, like, our son is alive and well. And yet you're leaving the only place that he's ever known as home and might come back to at some point if i were him i fucking wouldn't go back there i would seek out the other people i know i know but i mean but i think, know that's what i was thinking when like, he said they up and moved i was like why would they do that like if someone's missing you don't yeah. move from and like i've home. heard of other missing person cases where like those families will stay in that house for decades just hoping that one day they get a knock on the door and it's mm-hmm. going to be that child my next case that i'm going to be covering is also about a missing person and they did, like, her family did stay in the home for as long as they could. But for, like, a reason, like, you'll have to wait until I tell you yeah. about the case. But they eventually did have to move. That's but if it was up to them, they would have stayed. Yeah. Because that's what you do. Yeah, you wouldn't leave three months after your child has gone missing. Like, that's... If, you, if, it, if that isn't fucking suspicious, three, I don't know Wait, three months? Yeah, because so, like, Julie went missing in November. I'm sorry, I, like, missed so that November, minor December, January, detail about the February. timeline. Okay, yep, all right, red flag list, we'll add it on to that. Yes, so, I mean, that is, now, it just blows my mind, but I'm going to repeat it again, the house was vacant. But they left a lot of belongings there, and that is very important for later because if uh, people find some shit there. And has literally fled the state at this point to avoid the police, which is just fucking horrific. Mr. Red Flag himself. Yeah. So we go a couple months where there really wasn't much about the case, like in the media, not much was happening. And in the summer of 2008, they actually had a pretty big breakthrough. Our badass grandma, Barbara decided to take matters into her own hands and ended up finding a significant piece of evidence that kind of blew the case wide open. In July of 2008, Barbara decided to break into the cabin that was left vacant in Greenwich. So she broke into Stephen and Jocelyn's cabin. And in that cabin, she actually found the yellow fleece jacket that Jalik was last seen wearing. And it was... Part of the description of his missing person's flyers was that he was seen wearing this yellow fleece jacket. And it was in Stephen and Jocelyn's house. So they just up and left, only took bare minimum, and just left the cabin abandoned. Yes. Now, 
everyone. Obviously, that's actually a pretty big breakthrough. Unfortunately, Barbara was charged with breaking and entering because she did break into the house. And police did not condone that behavior whatsoever. However, the fact that they found that jacket there, and that is what Steven specifically said he was last seen wearing. So why the fuck is it in your house months later? Mm -hmm. It actually made it so the police were able to obtain a search warrant for the entire home. For the cabin or their new home? The cabin. Now, they should, they should search his new home. That's, yeah. They should. Um, in case they brought anything from. But, I mean, if they were sloppy enough to leave that behind, I don't think they brought anything from. Yeah. Now, that's actually really fucking great that that happened. Obviously, we also don't condone anyone breaking into a house, but you fucking go, Barbara. You go. She did the one thing that police couldn't do, legally, but it actually helped them in some way. I mean, anyone could have broken into an abandoned cabin in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, very People do shit like that all the time. But, obviously, it's good that the grandma did it and not the police. Yeah, because that would have... Did they, did the family find out about, I mean, obviously, like, some, oh, yeah. did they, did they bring charges, like, I mean, against she was charged her? with breaking and entering. I don't think somebody else in charge her. I didn't see anything about that. But the police charged her? Yeah. Well, I mean, they had to she broke the house, so. Yeah, but for good reason. Unfortunately, we can't, you know, police yeah. aren't allowed to pick and choose who they want to charge with breaking and entering and things like that. Yeah. Um, as exciting as the breakthrough was in the case, obviously, it didn't, it didn't really arrest of any kind or anything it really just further proved that once again steven and jocelyn have not been truthful with authorities pretty much from the very start of the case but without any direct evidence of foul play the case did unfortunately grow cold in december of 2012 police changed the case from a missing persons to a probable homicide police did keep the case open they've never stopped following leads there was actually a few times throughout the years that Skeletal remains were found in the area of upstate New York and Vermont, and police were very quick to jump in and investigate and try to test DNA to see if it was Julie. Unfortunately, it hasn't been identified. None of the skeletal remains, remains matched, so it didn't really need anywhere. Did they ever do searches of the area where, like, people saw his van So, that actually, night? That, um, in the spring of 2013. Okay, I'm sorry. I notes. I, I never read your notes. You sent them to me, and I still never read them. <laughs> um, in the in the spring of 2013, police searched the Hudson River, but it didn't really yield anything. If it did, they'd never came forward and said anything, but obviously they would have found like, a body or something. They probably would have said something. Um, but no evidence was really found. For years, the local police and Jaleek, um, the Julie Greenwalker task force never stopped searching for answers. They always followed on solid tips that they got. They always tried to take a lead seriously and see where it took them. There have actually been several alleged sightings of Jaleek that have come in. But where? Uh, like, like in, in New, New York? New York City, somewhere in other states, but like none of it ever actually was substantial enough and none of it really ever nothing came of any of them. And in July of 2021, in an attempt to revitalize the case and spread awareness, a social media group, or two social media groups, Jaleek's Army and Justice for Jaleek, organized a 5K run and fundraiser, which was very successful. 
an excellent turnout. Stephen and Jocelyn were not a part of this. Yeah, not surprised. Um, to this day, those groups are still doing everything they can. I actually joined the Justice for Julie Facebook group this week. Cool. They're still very active. Um, I actually, I have it linked in the show notes too, so if anyone else wants to join the Facebook group, just to kind of help spread awareness, get as many people in there as we can that really want to help find some answers and get some closure for the families. Yeah. Barbara and Elaine, who really, really, truly love this child. Do they run this page, or is this just a different... I believe Barbara's involved in the page. Um, I didn't really look into the admins were, but I did see her sharing a lot of stuff in there. Okay. And some of the I gotta posts, join the group. Some of the posts in the groups, like, were ended with, like, with love from Graham. So, yeah. I think that she is very, she is still very vocabulary. Um, In June of 2022, police actually made a public statement that they were conducting a search in the area of South Troy, which is another community in upstate New York that's fairly close to them. Sorry, I know this is really squeaky there. Um, And it was a heavily wooded area off of a place called Springwood Manor. Um, And then also they were looking near the South Troy Dodgers baseball and Barbara had made a statement publicly saying that she felt that this was a very strong lead. Um, obviously, this was this year back in June. Yeah. If anything was ever discovered by police, they've yet to release that information. So that is kind of where it ends. Julie Greenwalker would actually be 27 years old today. He was still alive. Goosebumps immediately. He is a biracial male with dark blonde hair and beautiful bright green Oh my eyes. god, the picture. We'll post the picture he, of him. the cutest little child. I just want to like pinch his cheeks and give him a hug. So like, cute. I, Put I him just, in my pocket. Yeah. He was last seen wearing blue jeans, a gray t-shirt with a dragon on it, and a yellow fleece pullover. I, well, no, he was, was not. Found so he was not. Wearing, so who knows what he was even Unfortunately, wearing. Unfortunately, I'm not really entirely sure if that's true. But he is a very, like, if you saw, like, yeah, you see the you picture of him, him, it's just, like, I don't he think he looks, like, unique, yeah. Just face, just it's the eyes. a handsome boy. And pierce you. The FBI, I will post their missing persons poster that they have, but they do have some enhanced photos of what he might look like if he was a little bit older. I haven't seen those yet. You'll have to show me. I will. However, this tragical case is labeled as a probable homicide, and we still don't have any answers. And like I said in the beginning, this November marked the 15th anniversary of his disappearance. Stephen Kerr and Jocelyn McDonald are still free, living their lives in Vermont. As far as I know, they're still foster parents as well. Which so they, they have nobody children. should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Stephen and Jocelyn, to this day, are still adamant that they believe that Jalik is alive and well and will come home one day. Okay. Which it's like if you believe he's alive and well, then he why, doesn't. He can't come home. He doesn't know where you are. Why? Yeah. He wouldn't even know where to find you because you left. Julie's grandmother, Barbara, really is currently living in Florida, according to her Facebook page. During the years of investigation, she's been extremely active with the case, um, and has you know dedicated a lot of time to organizing things, trying to raise awareness. At one point, she actually did attempt to file for custody of Julie, even though he was a missing person. Um, unfortunately, she was denied custody. I'm guessing because he wasn't physically there. Physically there. Um, from what I could see on her Facebook page, Julie is still very much a huge part of her life every single day. There was a lot of 
I mean, not everything was public. I'm not friends any friend her on Facebook. I'd be super awkward if I did that. But from what I could see, she still makes a lot of posts about him and talks about him as if he's still here, which really just broke my heart even more because this sweet little boy did have some people in his life who truly cared about his well-being, and he will likely never get to see his grandmother again. And I feel like she's one of the few people that had his best interest in mind. And it just makes me so sad. Yeah, he definitely was failed by everyone around him and fell through the cracks, unfortunately. It's, and it's so sad how you know, the system does that. And I know the foster system is just oversaturated. And sometimes things do slip through the cracks, but we really need to do a better job. And, like, adopting somebody isn't easy. Like, I don't know what it is like in New York, but, like, I imagine every state, there's hoops, like, home inspections. Like, there's no way they should have been approved in the first place to even have this child in their home. Have any child in their home. And, yeah. Like, to have, what, four children of their own? and Three of their own and another foster child besides Jaleek. Yeah. Um, Not okay. So... If you or anyone else has any information regarding the disappearance of Julie Greenwalker, we urge you to contact the Village of Cambridge Police Department at 518-677-3044. You can also contact the FBI at their Albany location at 200 McCarty Ave, Albany, New York. And their phone number is 518-465-7551. And that is the fucking horribly tragic case and disappearance of Julie Greenwalker. And I just pray that Barbara and Elaine and all the people who truly loved Julie get closure one day. Yeah. I yeah. really hope they do. I do believe that this guy had something. I, I think something happened that night. I yeah. think he did something to him. That's he was just punishing, my opinion. Well, he was punishing him in a way exactly. that was very like unfair and like inhumane in the first place so who knows what we he what other kinds of things or if he even planned this why would he bring him to a location where nobody was he didn't know where he really didn't know where he was yeah well i mean i'm sure he knew like the house and but the, like the area the he, saddest part is literally five days after that he was supposed to go back to respite care like it just like the family so kind sad. of already had like an out for him. Yeah. I think maybe something may have happened that night where um like Stephen just snapped or something. He either just snapped and did something, but like to me, like doesn't it kind of feel premeditated? Like you barely feed this kid and you barely give him anything to, to yeah. function and survive, but you take him out to a red robin and then you bring him to a secluded location. Yeah alone where it's just the two of you yeah and you have i think adults word to go on after i think it it was probably premeditated because they probably knew that they weren't ever going to get out of this adoption easily if at all so brings his kid out to eat gives them a good meal and then does something to him and again i'm not i'm not trying to these are just our opinions these are just our opinions which we were entitled to and which we're entitled to speak out loud but um, we don't know what happened, and I'm hoping one day they'll actually look into this further. And I know, I know, it's, it's still, still active, but like when all I mean, signs point the fact to that one still person, doing is kind of hopeful too. But yes, all signs are still really pointing to just Stephen. 
I feel like every time I say Steven, I sound like those girls from the hills. Steven! 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 Um, Laguna Beach. I oh, love. Yeah, I love. Whatever, well, whichever one it was. I think Laguna Beach was first, and then it was like the hills. The hills like continued after high school, but yeah. um, I didn't. I, I didn't indulge in those shows when I was younger. My sisters did, but I was too cool and emo for that. I was cool and emo too, but I still love I'm Laguna totally Beach. Kidding, I'm <laughs> the ever. No, you're. I think you're the most coolest person I know, and I think you're one of the smartest people I know. Oh I listen. I will be like, so story time, we were painting my new house when we got it, and we're painting what is now my bedroom, and there is this massive fucking spider outside. Like, this thing looks like it wanted to eat me for fucking lunch. It was adorable. Amanda was like, oh, without even taking a picture of it or looking it up, she's like, it's this type of spider. Da, 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 names it off like i'm just like what the fuck and she's like yeah they're good spiders they won't eat you they'll just eat them like n- just knows the most <laughs> random fucking facts so the reason why i do know a lot about spiders is because i was terrified of them as a child and my dad always told us that if you're really scared of something just do a bunch of research on it and you'll realize it's not that scary so i used to constantly look up the types of spiders that lived in new england and like which ones could like you know, almost kill you, and which ones weren't dangerous at all. And I know, but like, I'll, we'll see a bird, and you'll know exactly what it is, or we'll see like I, you just know. I do. I everything. I'm like a, I'm like a <laughs> jukebox of random information. Yeah, yeah. You're very smart, and you're very cool, and you're you like lush over here. you're like my soulmate, lover, grandmother. Just me, Raph. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about this last night. <laughs> all right, well, I think this is where we're going to end it. Yeah, so this is it. I am going to post all of the um, links and stuff at the end of the show notes. And like I said, there will be the link to the Facebook page, Justice for Jaleek. I urge everybody to join that group and just kind of help spread as much awareness as we can. So, all right. Yeah. And that's it. So stay spooky. Stay scary. And stay safe. safe. Bitches, love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.